This program is brought to you by RBC. In order to speak up for inclusion, we need to speak about inclusion. I'm Anna Karina Tabunyar, and this is More Talent Untapped. Conversations about unconventional, sometimes underestimated talent, and the differences that connect us. I had people who helped me. I had people who understood. And I realized that because of that, I have to be willing to talk about it for the people who don't have that. To say, you are not alone. This is bad. This stuff happens. You are not evil. You are not a bad person. You are not unemployable. You have an illness. Howard Sonnenberg is the man behind the song that's playing in the background. He created the original theme song for this podcast. Howard and I first met a few years back. He was the sound engineer for my documentary, Talent Untapped. We reconnected recently on a video call. He was in his sound studio. But we didn't talk about music or sound production. We talked about mental health. As you'll hear, Howard is very open about his mental illness, and he's brutally honest about the events that literally made headlines. He calls them his adventure. Before his adventure, Howard says he kind of understood disability, but as an outsider. At that point, it hadn't become personal to me in the sense that I would not have labeled myself disabled uh, in any way, shape, or form. Um, but I had lots and lots of people who I knew who were disabled, who had, I've had friends who spent years in wheelchairs and I know the struggles they've had to find employment and do something other than sit in a house and wait for the government to send them money. Howard, what happened then to you that made this really come to life? In August of that, actually in July of that year to start, uh, July 4th to be precise, of 2016, um, I suffered a mental breakdown of sorts. Um, I basically got in my car and I started driving west. And I just drove. I didn't think. I didn't do anything. I turned my phone right off and I just drove. I disappeared. Um, I was eventually tracked down in North Bay. Um, North Bay, Ontario. North Bay, Ontario. Got myself into uh, a little legal trouble there uh, as a result of that. Um, public mischief charge, to be precise. Um, that actually ended up locking down half the city. <laughs> So uh, I called and said that somebody had abducted me and that, you know, and basically thinking that everybody would think I was dead. They completely mobilized the North Bay and area police force and found me about an hour later. <laughs> what triggered it for you? What that ended up being was an undiagnosed uh, case of bipolar 2 disorder. And that was a borderline manic event. Okay. Um, and uh, the trigger was actually because I was being... Uh, in a hypoman, what they call a hypomanic state, which means I was not hallucinating. I wasn't having, um, uh, you know, hallucinations, audio or video. I was still, a, I was still viewing the world as the real world, but through the rosiest colored glasses you ever could. So that I was convinced I was Mr. Brilliant. I was working on this huge um, uh, project to be, uh, that, that was basically going to out Disney Disney. That okay. gives you an idea of the level yes. of, of sort of, um, uh, you know, uh, you had these grand schemes in your head. Grand schemes that you can get in your head when you're like that. So you finish working doing post-audio for my film, Talent Untapped. You're on this great big high. You've got these grand notions of you out-Disneying Disney. Yep. And then something snapped for you. Exactly. So about a month later, actually just at the end of, uh, of August, I was here um, 
And part of that giant project, basically that giant project I was working on failed. Okay. In a spectacular way. Um, All the investment fell through. I was, you know, head over heels in debt uh, (laughs) at that point. And literally, um, it was like somebody had thrown a a lightning bolt into my brain. Uh, And I... I got off the phone with the, with the, uh, the investors and hung up the phone. Uh, and I put my, closed my laptop, put my keys and my phone down on the desk and walked out the door. Uh, I ended up traveling to, uh, across the course of five days, I ended up traveling, uh, to Montreal, uh, through Montreal back into, um, North, of, uh, or sorry, South Quebec into Hemingford and then eventually into New York state. And at this stage, you hadn't told anybody. You just upped and left. Didn't I just tell your literally family. up and left. At that point, I suffered um, a, a full break, what is known as a dissociative event and a fugue state, marked by as a dissociative event marked by wandering. Okay. <laughs> it can and, and reasonably aimless wandering. In other words, I didn't really have a plan other than going that away. Oh my um, goodness! But I had completely disconnected from who I was. Uh, I always said it was like I knew that person who left, who was there before. I knew him. I knew all his memories. I knew everything about him. I knew every detail of his life, but I wasn't personally connected to him. I wasn't, he wasn't me. Uh, it was a very, um, very unusual, uh, scenario. In five days I walked about, well, I mean, I took the bus to Montreal. Um, but from there I walked about 90 kilometers to Hemingford and across the border. Yeah. I remember that period very clearly because um, as a member of the general public, yeah. I remember seeing all the social media posts yeah. from your family and friends plea- pleading with you to come back or if anybody had any information. So this was a really big public manhunt for you. Yes, everybody knew it. Um, still to this day, I occasionally um, will meet people uh, and give them my name and they go, oh, you're the guy. <laughs> So basically, I came back, um, obviously went through a gallon of uh, medical procedures, Uh, you know, ECGs, all of that, everything physical was ruled out, Um, eventually got referred to a psychiatrist who uh, ended up diagnosing me as uh, bipolar 2 with dissociative episodes and generalized anxiety disorder. Okay. Because that tends to to run comorbid with everything else. (laughs) Okay. So... How did you pull your life back together? Well, uh, for six months, again, I, I didn't. And um, it, it was literally like I, that, w- that had been somebody else's life. Um, for six months, I actually I cleaned, cleaned houses. I, I, I built things with my hands, all the sort of stuff that I'd never done before. Um, I mean, I wasn't, I, I, when I say clean houses, I cleaned my friend's houses. Uh, I wasn't doing it as a job. I had no job. I was very much like, I don't know who this new person is, but I have to figure him out. Um, so it took about six, almost six months before, um, I was able to reintegrate any of myself and feel like, okay, I, I should, you know, be doing something. And of course, you know, financially speaking, um, that's not nearly enough time to collect disability. That's not nearly enough time to, um, so, also, by that point, the, the financial wolves were knocking at the door, and it's like, I really need to do something to earn a you living. You need your income, sure, yeah. sure. When I first started looking for work again, I thought I was not coming back to my career. 
Uh, I didn't think I was going to work. I didn't think I was going to work in audio or film or television or any of that again. Um, I thought I, you know, that, that course had run and I was going to try and find something uh, perhaps much more simple. Um, And honestly, at that point I wasn't looking, uh, I was looking for something that had as little sort of um, stress for lack of a better word, not necessarily on the job stress, but the stress that you get uh, running an organization at, you know, where you're on 24 seven. Understood. Understood. You know, I was looking for something that maybe I could work, you know, eight or 10 hours and then check out. Yes. Yeah. And then check, check out and not and worry about it. Um, and of course that, that presented its own set of problems. Uh, number one, because immediately it was very obvious uh, with my public thing, who I was. Okay. Um, you know, so right away you were, I was, I was at a bit of a disadvantage. Everybody knew I was suffering from mental illness. Um, not that I was ever, not that I ever hit it. It often, I mean, I would walk into interviews and say, look, this is the scenario and I need you to know that now, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so you did your disclosure right up front. Always, always, always. I felt there was no point in doing otherwise because, you know, <laughs> um, I, and sometimes I do, I do honestly wish that they'd just gone, well, thank you, but, you know, we're not comfortable. <laughs> and okay. Saved, and saved me some of the time. I started getting back into things. I'd started doing, uh, you know, uh, videos with friends and stuff like that again and, and doing, uh, you know, finishing up some stuff that kind of got left behind when I, when I had uh, disappeared that hadn't gone anywhere. <laughs> and people are like, can we maybe finish that? People were giving me small gigs here and there. Uh, but ironically, what happened was uh, I had been doing some production sound uh, and I was working uh, on a film and a friend of mine, uh, sent me a message and he said, Hey, I know you're looking for, for different things. And, uh, you know, I don't know if this is something you're interested in, but these guys are looking for an editor. And he sent me the thing and it was the new fly fisher, uh, at Gencore, which was a show I had worked on at atomic slash affinity audio for years and years and years. Um, and so I immediately called and this is right in your I, zone. I, exactly. I called on Wednesday and I started on Monday. How perfect. How perfect. <laughs> yeah. And so you're there right now. I am there right now. That's actually my office behind me here at Gencore. Uh, and I do edit their video and audio for uh, the new Fly Fisher and a whole bunch of others. Uh, Colin is the owner of, he's the, the owner of, of Gencore. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, um, you know, he and I sat down and had a good long discussion uh, about everything. He looked at me and he said, well, you know, uh, you know, what, you know, what could you say, you know, can you guarantee that this won't happen? this sort of thing won't happen again. And again, being frank, I looked at him and said, Colin, frankly, I can't give you a hundred percent guarantee. This is something I will deal with for this mental illness is something I will deal with for the rest of my life. I'm stable. I'm on my meds. You know, things are good, but you know, stuff can happen. Uh, And he actually looked at me and said, great, that was the right answer. So it's been a very welcoming thing. He's, he's, you know, um, I just, I feel like if I'm having a really bad day, I can say to Colin, Hey, I'm having a really bad day. You know, I could literally call in and say, I just can't function today. And he'd go, okay, we'll see you tomorrow. That becomes the key for, for this kind of, I, I mean, for a lot of disabilities, but especially for people who do suffer from mental illness, uh, because there's such a stigma attached to it to, to have a place where you can go. I can't come in today because I just can't function. Um, knowing that you will probably be able to function tomorrow. 
Mm-hmm. But and you so have good days and bad days. What I find really wonderful is that um, you sat down with your employer at the very, very beginning and said, hey, this is what I'm going through and this is what I'm managing and this is what I need. Yeah. That's so important. And I know that not a lot of people have that courage. They're not quite there yet. So what's your advice to them? Well, I mean, here's the thing. I, like I said, I came to, I can't recommend the way I came to my place, but I came to a very good place because I had that complete dissociative event in a very real way to me that happened to somebody else. That wasn't me. So when I was able to synthesize the, the, as I said, the two me's, the, the sort of the one that came back and the one that left okay. um, and find the best parts of both and accept all the demons and monsters and everything else that, that were around in my head. Um, once I'd done that, it was very, it's very easy for me to be honest about it because I have um, perspective on it. I have, I, I can take that time of perspective on it. For people who don't have that, it becomes much, much harder. It requires a, a, a an environment where you can get that level of support. I have known Colin now for well, well over a decade. Okay. He knew what had happened. He'd seen it all. He'd been there. He'd been in close range when the explosion happened. So to be able to do that uh, wasn't a terribly frightening experience for me. Yeah, I'm really happy for you, Howard. I won the lottery. I did. In terms of. Um, of how this could have gone down. I won the lottery. Um, you know, uh, I was surrounded by people who helped. I had a family who was there to support me through the whole thing, including my father who God love him, even though we spent 30 years not talking when it came down to it, my dad was like, it's taken care of. Don't worry about it. Um, you know, uh, and of course we now have a, a much better relationship, um, as a result of all this as well too. Um, but, uh, you know, I had all of those. I had family, I had friends, I had people who helped me. I had people who understood. Um, and I realized that because of that, I have to be willing to talk about it for the people who don't have that. To say, you are not alone. This is bad. This stuff happens. Um, you are not uh, evil. You are not a bad person. You are not unemployable. You have an illness. People need to look at me and go, well, you don't look sick. No, I don't, but I am. And that doesn't mean that I can't function or that I can't do things. It just means I have to go about it a different way. Right. And that's become so important to me. I'm not cured. There is no cure for this. It can be managed, much like diabetes, it can be managed. For me, meds are my, my, my foundation. If I did not have and, uh, my, my, my mood stabilizers, I probably couldn't do the rest of the things that I need to do to stay healthy. Um, they're uh, things like, for me, like making sure I get enough rest. Yes. A, a regular sleep, sleep schedule. Yes. Um, because that's, that's a big one. Sleep is a, is a huge, uh, huge thing with mental illness. Taking time out for myself. Self-care. Self-care. Yes. Self-care is so important. And self-care can be a lot of things. Self-care can be making sure my bills are paid so I don't have to worry about them. Not fun, oh, right. but it's like, okay, I've taken care of this now. It's something I don't have to sit and, you know, have anxiety about 
as I'm trying to fall asleep. Um, things that people wouldn't necessarily think of, making sure, you know, you, you take a shower, um, you know, uh, going to get your hair cut. Therapy, can't say enough. And the most important thing for me uh, has been to be able to monitor myself for years and years and years and years and years and years. I mean, I, uh, looking back at it, my, uh, my bipolar disorder probably started about 16. At the age of 16. At the, at the age of 16. That's the first one where I can really pinpoint a couple of big mood, mood events. It's like your leg has been sore for 30 years and somebody yes. finally says, because it's broken. And yeah. you go, oh, I'll put a cast on and walk with crutches. Oh, I feel so much better now. Yeah. Um, it, it was very much that sort of thing. And so knowing that I've been able to monitor my moods much more closely, monitor my mental health much more closely. I, I say it's kind of like, again, I, use, I like to use diabetic as an example because in, in a similar sense, it's a chronic disease that can't be cured, but it can be managed with the correct steps. And as a diabetic has to check their blood sugar on a regular basis, I have to check my emotional state mm-hmm. on a regular basis. How am I feeling today? Because once you get into a full-on mood swing either way, it becomes very hard, especially in a hypomanic phase, to realize what's going on. And thank you, thank you, thank you for doing this. I need to say thank you for doing this because what we're doing here, what you're doing here is so important for people to realize that just because somebody has a physical or a mental disability does not mean that they can't work. And also for the people like us who suffer from these, that we are worth, we are worthy. Yeah. Amen to that, Howard. We're ending on a different note. Well, a different tune than our usual song. It's another tune created by Howard Sonnenberg. I'm sending him a great big thank you, not only for his creativity, but for his generosity. He's so open about his mental illness, it's opened my eyes to the complexities and fragility of mental health. As Howard stresses, we need to talk openly about what we're going through and what we need. And by talking about inclusion, we move closer toward inclusion. More Talent Untapped is a sequel to the documentary Talent Untapped. If you're interested in the special screening of the original film, send me a note through my website. That's anna-karina-tabunyar.com. A-N-N-A-K-A-R-I-N-A-T-A-B-U-N-A-R. That's anna-karina-tabunyar.com. More Talent Untapped is made possible by our sponsors, RBC and EARN, the Employment Accessibility Resource Network, an initiative of United Way East Ontario. The people who helped put together this show are Lindsay Voderick, Howard Sonnenberg, Ashley Wright, Colin Van Haddam, and me, Anna Karina Tabunyar. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast, give it a reviewer rating, and share it to help us get the word out.